This podcast is brought to you by the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities. It boosts our economy. It creates jobs. It even powers space travel. It's nuclear energy, and it does so much more than you think. Discover all nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. President Donald Trump moved this week to overhaul, by regulation, the Affordable Care Act. He plans to allow industry associations to offer health insurance to members without abiding by Obamacare rules that mandate certain benefits. And he will stop making payments to insurers participating in the Obamacare exchanges that help them cover their costs. I'm Sean Zeller, Deputy Editor of CQ Magazine, and I'm joined today by Rebecca Adams, CQ's healthcare editor. So why is Trump making these changes? So, Sean, it really goes back to the failure of Congress to act on his promise to repeal and replace the health care law. He has been adamant that this is something that he campaigned on. He really wants to take care of this. This morning, Trump told some conservative voters that it's going to be step by step by step. And he is really pushing very hard. He kind of jabbed Congress a little bit, saying that uh, lawmakers have forgotten what their pledges were. So... This is just a start to that process. The executive order will be followed by rulemaking, and we will see additional actions. You mentioned the cost-sharing subsidies. That was a big deal because that's the money that insurance companies are counting on to subsidize the cost for lower-income people in the exchanges. So all of this fits together into a pattern of trying to undermine the Obamacare exchanges. We've seen that with other things as well. We saw that the Trump administration really cut the funding for publicity and outreach. They also cut the money for people who are trying to help people, consumers enroll in the exchanges. And they said that healthcare.gov is not going to be operating all the time. They're going to have some outages. And all of that's been generating some controversy and some attention because it's all part of um, a move to really undermine the healthcare law. So when we talk about industry associations, which under this rulemaking will be allowed to offer their member companies insurance, what are we talking about? What are industry associations? Industry associations are typically trade associations, or they could be local chambers of commerce. They're, they're groups that band together. And what Trump is saying here is that these groups can band together to buy health insurance. So what's interesting is that never before have these groups been able to form a pool in order just to to cover people, just to provide insurance. But that's something that would be allowed under this executive order. So what's the case for allowing associations to offer insurance? It's pretty simple. It could be cheaper than Obamacare insurance. And that's been one of the chief complaints about the health care law is that it's really just too expensive for some people if you don't get a subsidy. This could benefit some people. Some people could benefit. Some of the people who are a little bit higher income, who don't get a subsidy under the exchanges, they could see some some wins under this. Because remember, the Obamacare exchanges, they cover, they provide subsidies for people between the federal poverty level and four times the federal poverty level. And then there is additional help for people who are between the federal poverty level and two and a half times the federal poverty level. So... 
the people who might benefit from the association health plans are people who are above those income levels. So what's the danger in allowing associations to offer these plans? Well, there are a couple of risks, I think. Um, one thing that I would say is that people don't may not get coverage that's as generous as what you would get under Obamacare. Um, the law requires marketplace place plans to cover 10 categories of benefits. These are called essential health benefits. And the law also requires people to kind of know what they're getting because this, the levels of coverage are standardized. Um, for example, you know, you see um, the categories of platinum plans or gold plans or silver plans or bronze plans. And people know that when they buy a silver plan, for example, they're getting a certain level of coverage. These kinds of association health plans would not necessarily have to meet all of the Obamacare regulations. Secondly, I would say it really could have the effect of moving healthy, low-cost people from the healthcare law marketplaces to these plans, depending on what the rules say. And a key question is who will be allowed to buy these plans. So it affects the uh, people in the Obamacare exchanges. It makes them older, sicker less insurable. Yes, potentially. Again, it depends on what they say. One thing that was kind of left open yesterday on a call with reporters is whether self-employed people would be able to buy into these plans, kind of form a group and buy these plans. And the administration kind of hinted that perhaps that might be allowed, but they didn't say that. They didn't want to get ahead of their rulemaking. You mentioned that these association plans may not provide all the essential health benefits that are required of Obamacare exchange plans. How can that be? Can you walk us through that? Why aren't they required to provide those benefits? Sure. Let me just keep it simple and say that that the essential health benefits are not would not be required for these association health plans. And the benefits that we're talking about are a variety of different things. It can include maternity care, prescription drug coverage, hospital care, doctor's visits, rehab, and mental health care. Those are some of the things we're talking about. And do large employers who are offering plans to their employees have to offer those essential health benefits? They do not. But most of them do. Most of them do. That's correct. So in this instance, we might uh, assume that these association plans will follow what large employers do or no? We'll have to see. I want to turn to short-term health insurance. This is something that President Trump wants to expand and mention in his executive order. What are short-term health insurance plans and how is he going to expand them? Sure. So this is less comprehensive coverage. Um, the Obama administration said that they could only be offered for three months and they couldn't be renewed. But under the Trump executive order, they would be allowed for a year. And what's the case for and against these short-term plans and, and expanding them? Sure. So the case for them is they might be cheaper. And if you're healthy and you don't need a lot of medical care, then that might be great for you. You might just want something that protects you against, um, against some kind of, of really problematic issue. But... They don't really have a lot of protections. Um, they may not cover pre-existing conditions. They don't have to meet all these rules saying that they have to spend a certain percentage of their premium dollars on medical care. They may have higher out-of-pocket limits. They, they just don't have to follow all the Obamacare rules. And so you might not be getting as much coverage as you would otherwise. We'll be back in a minute. And now, more from our sponsor, the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities and towns across the country. It creates jobs. 
It adds billions to the economy. It even powers space travel. Life as we know it wouldn't be life as we know it without it. And it's called nuclear energy. Yes, nuclear energy. Every day, nuclear energy helps us to keep our country running and moving forward. Discover all the things nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. Nuclear. Power. The extraordinary. And we're back. So, Rebecca, we were just talking about the changes Trump has proposed in his executive order. Separately, he's said now that he will no longer make the payments to insurance companies that the Obama administration made to help cover the cost, their costs. Those insurers are going to look to recoup their costs and the people most likely to be affected are those buying Obamacare exchange plans but are not receiving a government subsidy. Who are those people and what's the effect on them? Right. So it, it, people who get subsidies for their monthly premiums are people making between about twelve dollars to $48,000 a year for an individual. For a family of four, that would be people around the 48000 to 96000 It's on a range. sliding scale. It's on a sliding so scale. So the ho- higher you income, the lower the subsidy. That's correct. Right. And the Kaiser Family Foundation had projected that if these cost-sharing subsidies end, that insurers would do that. They would try to recoup their losses and that premiums would go up by about 19%. Now, people above that subsidy level now have trouble affording plans in Obamacare exchanges. Their take-up rates are very low because of the cost. So you mentioned before the possibility of self-employed association plans or small business plans through associations, people are going to be looking to those if they can't afford an Obamacare plan. That is certainly a possibility, yes. Again, this goes back to President Trump's devotion to the idea of undermining the health care law. And this has been a fascinating issue to watch. Um, We have seen House Republicans rail against this, but then there's now a movement to perhaps fund these subsidies. So let me walk back just for a little bit and tell you what these are. The announcement last night that these would not be funded, it was actually a pretty big deal. It means that insurance companies, they still have to keep offering these protections to people. And remember, these are the people that we talked about who are the lowest income people. So costs won't go up for those low income subscribers in the Obamacare exchanges. That's right. But ultimately, the cost could go up for American taxpayers. We'll see what happens. But basically, let me just remind people that we're talking about the people between federal poverty level and and two and a half times the federal poverty level. And this is money that goes to help them with their out-of-pocket costs like deductibles and co-pays. So they will continue to receive uh, reduced cost premiums but this is something different from that. Yeah, so you brought up, there are two different subsidies in the law, and that's a good point, Sean. There are monthly premium subsidies that go for people between the federal poverty level and four times that amount. So if you're in that category, then you'll get help with your premiums. The second subsidy, the one that we're talking about, the one that's at issue here and that the Trump administration said we're gonna stop, that's the one that's for the lower end of the spectrum. And Again, people will still get their deductibles and co-pays paid for, but insurance companies are going to be on the hook to fund that. And they're going to be looking to recoup those costs by raising 
Well, they're going to try to raise it for everybody, I imagine. What what we might see is that insurance companies are going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to say, do we want to get out of our contracts and stop offering coverage in the exchanges, maybe offer it in a different way or scale back their coverage? Secondly, they're going to try eventually to try to recoup their losses and they'll raise rates on everyone. Everyone, including people in large employer plans. Well, no, no. The, I just mean um, potentially, potentially in large plans, but that that would not be explicit. This would be something that would primarily affect the individual and small group market. Great. Um, Rebecca, why were these payments being made if they weren't mandated required by Congress in the 2010 Affordable Care Act? Well, that's a matter of dispute, Sean. Um, they, the Democrats say that they intended to offer that protection. They say that it was clear from the way they wrote the law that they wanted this money to be provided, but they did not explicitly say that in the law. They didn't appropriate the money. And so two years ago, um, federal court judge Rosemary Collier said, wait just a minute, you can't just infer that this appropriation has to be made. Congress has to explicitly say that it. was a suit brought by Republicans in Congress yes. against the Obama administration. Yes, you're yes, you're right. The House, um, the House of Representatives sued the Obama administration. The Re House of Representatives was controlled by Republicans. And they sued the Obama administration saying that that they had never appropriated the money. And the Republicans won in that suit, but it's on appeal. And that allowed the Obama administration and thus far Trump to continue to make the payments. Yes, the Obama administration had continued making the payments. And on a month by month basis, the Trump administration had been making the payments, too. But last night, they decided that they would stop doing that. And this morning, they filed a nine page brief in federal court announcing that decision. And, and part of Trump's argument here is, well, Congress needs to explicitly mandate these payments, right? And so now he's throwing it back to Congress. Yes. And Congress, do we have any sense of what they're going to do? The Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee Chairman Lamar Alexander, he's a Republican from Tennessee, he has been working with Patty Murray, who's a Democrat from Washington. She's the top Democrat on that committee. And they've been working pretty hard trying to get a deal. The problem is that they may be able to get a deal, but they may not be able to get all the, their Republican colleagues to go along with it. So the deal would be a little bit larger than just the cost-sharing subsidies. It would involve some other things like flexibility on waivers. But there are a lot of Republicans, especially House conservatives, who do not want to do what they call as bailing out the insurance companies on this. So we'll see whether that deal can get through Congress. All right, we're going to keep our eye on it. Thank you for coming on the show, Rebecca. Thank you very much. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. <laughs>